Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. We are I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Livson, and community organizing socialist Kinesipeda, as well as with Jessica, who has been a frequent contributor and now part of What's Left and has been a long-time animal rights and environmental activist. I'm so glad that I'm back with Jessica having now been a part and will be a part moving forward with what's left as a uh, as a one of our hosts thank you jessica for being with us thank you eduardo so eduardo what's our episode about today after you so rudely well, interrupted me <laughs> well first i'd like to say where we're at i don't know if you've always missed that but people always try we have to find out where we're at so oh yeah we can find you can find us at what s left at webnote.com and you can find uh, a link to our blog on the episode notes as well as you can find um any of our episodes um and uh there subscribe rate review turn on your notifications for your favorite episode jot down our information wherever you found this episode and uh and uh and we expect you'll be following us i forget what else now i'm getting clumsy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I guess we'll be discussing me today, Andy. Yes, it's it's the welcome back Eduardo episode. <laughs> people have been missing you, Eduardo. We've had some, we had people write in, say, Where, what happened to Eduardo? Did he quit the show? Did you, <laughs> did you run him off because you were so mean? All that kind of stuff. So I had to like say, no, it was just, he's just had a long trip. Yeah. And like everyone's been saying, oh, is he back this week? Is he back this week? And now you're finally back, so I'm very happy. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, everyone. And I do especially appreciate Jessica for having uh, filled in the spot for me and just being with us now. Yeah. Big shoes to fill. <laughs> yes. Um, so we have some questions for you. Sure. And I'll start with the first one. Uh, first off, What's it like to be back? You were in Mexico, but what's it like to be back in the United States? And also, what's it like to be back here on what's left right now? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's weird being back because I'm, I feel like time has paused, right? And I now I'm back where there's like a tight, like, what do you call it? Can you, when you, like a time machine or like, I think of the X-Men films, do you know, when the mutants, when Professor X freezed uh, time for a moment and then all of a sudden yeah. time went, resumed. Yeah. I feel that way as if when I left in December, I then paused life or time for, for that moment and then did whatever I did, which I will share with you all. And then I'm back and like, whoa, you know, after <laughs> I'm back here where after time froze for some time. That's how I feel, honestly. That's how I, I'm just trying to recuperate. Um, besides that, I feel lots of nostalgia. Um, I think anytime I go back home, it just feels to me like I want to live there. I want to stay there. I want to be with my family. I want to, I think when you return, well, at least I'll speak for myself. When I return, um, I think maybe, Kenny, you can, because you've spoken about this sometime. Uh, there is this feeling like, you're being ripped apart from your family. You know, like there is, most of my family lives in, in Mexico and um, and 
when you're there, you you do everything together. There isn't a moment that I'm not with them. I'm not alone by myself. I don't want to be alone. And I'm very introverted, right? So I try to find space in my head or when I wash dishes to just be alone. But most of the time I'm with people. There's just a lot of people. And I have a big family and I make a commitment. I made a commitment a long time ago to when I'm in Mexico to just be with them, with all of them from my father's side and my, my mother's side. And so I feel this deep sense of connection with them and they feel it with me. And, and if they're watching this, I'll maybe add some subtitles to this. I think uh, there's a deep sadness because I, they'll know that it'll be some time. And so I say, it's not like I live there and I can just go visit them over a weekend and make plans with them. It's just, I have to cross a border, no? And maybe that could be the subject of what, one of the subjects we discussed on borders and, and workers, you know, being restricted access to, to be amongst each other. And I think for me, the, the one thing I want in my life is there to be this unification of where I live in my community here and the community that I have there to be in one, but it's sort of challenging when there's, you know, cultural differences, language and um, distance, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So coming back, no, right, sorry, can you, just coming back, it's like full of nostalgia, just, I remember getting off the plane and just like feeling like a damped, <laughs> very heavy plant that's just, and and then just, remember just going to my um, home and just lying in bed, just thinking, oh my goodness, I wish I could have more time. Mm. Kenny, was, you were going to say. Yeah, when was, when was the last time you were... Uh, back home in Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So the last time was 2019, 2000, no, yes, 2019, because uh, every year I tried to go back to Europe to try to either be in the UK or in France. And I went into Mexico in 2019 and then I went to France in December and stayed until Jan and then Spain in January and then back to France and then I got COVID it, at the hostel in France and I had planned to go back home is when was it um, I think it was that spring or that summer but then they closed the border because of COVID and they did the whole um, you know no flying out non-essential travelers um so so when the borders closed over the summer i was very disappointed and then i i was waiting for some time until they would reopen but then we got caught up in the reopening of schools and the learning you know so i became very busy and i didn't realize that my mexican passport and my us american passport were expired <laughs> so so because they were expired the to get to get those things the mexican embassy completely shut down they weren't going to do anything um at that time i think it was and then i tried to get the u.s american passport because i have double dual citizenship and i tried to get the, the u.s american passport is the uh uh a renewed u.s american passport but then that would that delayed some time and because of you know because everyone there were so many changes happening in 2020 so I got it in 2021 and I want, no, I don't, yeah, somewhere around there. And yeah, 
winter of 2021, I think, or um, December, January. And then I just got caught up in the reopening of reopening of schools. So we were, you know, organizing, we were, we were doing stuff here in SF in the Bay Area. And I was meeting up with families and, you know, trying to push for the reopening of schools here in San Francisco. So I, I just felt I got too overwhelmed and I didn't travel. And so 2021 was, I didn't, I didn't go anywhere. You know, I didn't even, yeah, I didn't go, I didn't go abroad 2000 after France, didn't go abroad after 2020, didn't go abroad 2021. So I, I thought, no, I have to, I have to go. I have to go. I can't be here. I feel stuck. I feel, you know, so I, so I decided to go in December. I made plans. Yeah. To go in December. I just have a question as to like, you know, um, at least that was true for me, like that first year, you know, I knew some things didn't add up in terms of, you know, the narrative of COVID. And so, but still I was a little more anxious, you know, and still had more doubts in my mind as to if I could visit elders. Like I didn't visit my grandma for a year, you know, in Los Angeles, right? Because especially uh, yeah. my, that my stance on vaccination, um, was that at all factoring to your not going to Mexico, you know, you know, like, was there any doubt? Because I know you have some elders down there. Mm -hmm. My great grandfather lives in, in the state of Morelos, um, just three hours south of, um, not the state, but in the small town where I grew up in, uh, in Amacuzac, outside of Cuernavaca, the largest uh, city out, uh, of the state of Morelos. Uh, south, three hours south of Mexico City, is the, I the I wasn't worried about him so much because he's in, he's isolated, and I know his um, his daughter, my my aunt, takes care of him very very well. Uh, what I was worried more so about was the hysteria, or you know the the paranoia, the, the, the getting to him, because he's very laissez-faire about things and diseases. I mean, he does take care of himself, and my aunt is very extremely, um, you know, protective. But in Mexico, what, what people, this is the sentiment of a lot of Mexicans, and, and if any Mexicans are hearing this, and maybe in other Latin American countries, I'm not sure, but what people were dying from, were not necessarily from COVID, they were dying because of the separation and being locked up in hospitals in ICU care. And so that was some fear from my family that if something were to happen to him, that they would be separated from him. And I know lots of Mexican families that decided to keep their loved ones at home and just, and, you know, whatever, however, this might, I hope this is not something that I recommend for people to do and we might get this post taken down or something. I don't want that. But this is what Mexican families did. They they kept their older ones at home safe and instead of having them go to the hospital because there were people were dying of covid as they were saying it and and so but but many family members would report on social media on news and just in neighborhood conversations you know that they couldn't have died from covid because they had already covid either they had been immune so they already had covid or they were being, they were dying from other illnesses because they had a, you know, they were not seeing people uh, for other treatments, or they were just dying from isolation because, you know, you're 
in the middle of, you know, lots of people and, you know, you're, there's no care. There's everyone's been together and you're isolated from your family. You're and you're being, you know, you're, you're just scared. So people kept their loved ones at home. And I think that's what I was afraid of, that they would take my great grandfather to a, a hospital and they would keep him there isolated and then they would not let us see him. That was my biggest fear because, you know, you're trusting health professionals, but then later people realize they, they don't, that's not what you should be doing. Yeah. That, and I would not say that that's, that's foolish. I actually think that makes a lot of sense. Like the stories I was hearing of people being, of dying alone in a hospital, whether it's being mm -hmm. placed on a ventilator, which they probably shouldn't have been placed on, you know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of stories like that. So actually, it's, I don't think that's, if people in Mexico were doing that, I think they did a wise thing. Yeah, I agree. So I just wanted to ask, especially because I know traveling, as you were describing, has been such a huge part of your life and your identity and how you like navigate the world. So did you, for those two years that you were traveling, like you talked about the, just like the literal restrictions in terms of crossing borders but did you feel any like cultural or personal pressure, like not to travel? I mean, I know your stance was obviously like yeah. not in the majority, like not the mainstream stance, but I don't know. Did you, did you still feel like that pressure of like, I'm not supposed to. Yeah. I think we even feel it here, right? We're not supposed to go to parks. We're not supposed to go to restaurants. We're not supposed to hang out together. We're not supposed to do anything. Uh, what I think when people would tell me, oh, you are unvaccinated, why are you traveling? I think, you know, why were you traveling when you were a teacher and going to Puerto Rico and Cancun, you know, teaching one hour or two hours a day, you know, and when you were unvaccinated, you know, and that's what pissed me off. And then suddenly, you know, telling me because I'm unvaccinated, you were unvaccinated in 2020 and you were traveling. Uh, or why think of all the fakeness of teachers you know, at my my nephew's school, who who are afraid of children who aren't vaccinated, and they're and they're in other classrooms when they're not supposed to be in other classrooms. You're supposed to be isolated. You're not supposed to be interacting with your co colleagues after school. I mean, I don't care, but you're the one who cares, and you're the one who keeps saying you're not supposed to be around each other. You know, so you know all these restrictions and the pressure of not going anywhere and not not to travel, the hypocrisy of people and telling me what to do. And what to do with my life when they would not even follow it themselves. I know some people who are, you know, strong COVID, like they follow to the T. Yes. And that's like very the small percentage. But I, the majority of people who, who, who advocate for lockdowns and school closures, and they're always traveling and they're always going to restaurants and they're always having fiestas at their houses. And I know it. And so and you know, and and one teacher in particular who would who would criticize me for being unvaccinated and going about places, you know, she's shaking her booty up in Hawaii. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like people are just doing the things that they want to do, and they're being hypocritical about it, telling other people what to do. So, uh, you know, I so I I was going to do what I was going to, I was going to travel, but I got caught up with our political advocacy for the reopening of schools and, and, and how, you know, just life in general. I think if you don't, if you just don't go, you know, you keep thinking all the reasons why you should not go, then you're never going to go. 
you know, oh, I have my nephew, I have this, so I have to do that before I have to go, you know. So I think that I did feel the pressure, but I thought of all the times I'd see them doing, uh, you know, what, you know, like as if they were able to do anything because they're vaccinated. So I, I did, you know, I went to go see my family. The, the worst, it's like Kenny shared, remember? The, the, the thing is, your family means, well, at least what Kenny shared and what I'm sharing is, and I'd like to hear from both of you how if this is true for Jessica, because we haven't, I haven't actually heard about your family and your experience with your family or Andy, I've only shared it with you privately, but we, we shared in what's left is that family is so important to us. And for me, I'm not going to allow myself to be hindered or stopped to go see them. That's the least thing I want to do during these times, you know? No, I mean, yeah, it's true. I mean, you guys, I don't know. Like that's, we share that, you know, that's very, um, I mean, I still haven't gone back to Guatemala, you know, and, mm. and in part is because my family there has um, bought into the narrative, you know, and being kind of, um, you know, um, what do you call it? Like really traumatized by the constant bombardment of news because even though they're in Guatemala, they're, see, you know, American and European and like the, the, actually the big players in media still influence the media down there. And so, um, you know, it's just kind of parroting of whatever's happening here. And so the anxiety was there, my family to, I think until now, maybe more recently, because now everyone's gotten, has gotten COVID and no one in my family has died from COVID. People with like very severe comorbidities actually, you know, that um, supposedly, you know, they're, they're the most at risk, right? According to the narrative and they've survived it. And so by now it's like, and now it's just about money, you know, and, and but it's it's also a factor of COVID or the narrative of COVID. And so my point is that there was some resistance from my family from us going there. And so that, I guess that becomes a question for you, Eduardo. Was there at all any resistance from your family from coming over, right? Because Mexico never closed really its borders. You know, people were still, in, still going on vacation. Mexico is not as strict, right, in, in terms of going there. You know, I know a lot of people that have been traveling back and forth. Um, and so what I'm curious about is whether your family had some resistance because of this constant bombardment. Like, was there any portion of your family at all for you, you know, to come over? Um, minimal. I think there wasn't so much pressure of not visiting them. It was more pressure of getting vaccinated because some of them have got into the idea that vaccines are the cure. When, you know, many of my family members after three booster, or excuse me, after the third booster, they still got COVID, do you know? So, you know, the ones that telling me to get vaccinated were the very ones who were also getting COVID after the third shot. And I would ask them, well, how has it protected you? And then they kind of stumbled around what to say. So, um, so I, I wasn't, so, it wasn't so much pressure of not visiting only my aunt, my one aunt, but more so it was the vaccine. They wanted to get the vaccine. Uh, they wanted me to get the vaccine. Um, but, um, so I, I, I don't think, I don't think it was any pressure from my family like that thinking not really what i 
remember having more so conflict or what was polemic was our stance on COVID. And they, a lot of them feel, take masking, for example. A lot of my family members feel like we were walking into to public transport. There's no enforcement to wear a mask on public transport. There isn't any enforcement to, to wear a, a, a mask uh, to a restaurant. But a lot of them wear it. And because there's, there's this campaign, this news on television constantly to do it for others. So it's a constant bombardment of, of propaganda being said, like, do it for others. We're doing it for others. We're doing it because we love others. We're doing it for our neighbor. We're doing it for your family. We're doing it for our, our, your abuelita. So there is that. And I think that that's so ingrained that some of them would just put it on immediately as we got out the house. And I said, you know, there aren't any people for kilometers away. Why are you wearing it? And they said, oh, yeah, and they would take it off. But so I think it's more so how much has been programmed. But they're not. Uh, but that's not how, you know, it's it's that would be. The, the issues I would run across, it would be around that. I think one thing that in the very beginning, as soon as I arrived, I had like this whole uh, reunion with my primos hermanos, which are your cousins from your, your cousins of your parents' siblings. And we met up and that night we were playing games and all, but the topic of COVID came up and they, we are in a WhatsApp group. And if you're Latino and, and you know, you, you have WhatsApp, there's like so many groups you belong to and there's just so many messages that you're a part of. And it's like, oh my God, it's just, it's like, keeps going forever. And in one of our groups, and you have so many in groups that where your tia is not part of it because you don't get along with her or whatever, or because this family doesn't get along with this or because et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. For so many, you know what I'm talking about, Kenny. So, <laughs> so I'm a part of this WhatsApp group and it's called Primos Sanchez. And we're all the, we're all the, my grandmothers, um, the older ones, we're all the, my grandmothers, um, how do you say nietos? Grandchildren. And we've discussed COVID. And so when we met up in person, it was this back and forth. It was like a power struggle. Like I said, you know, I'm posting this stuff up on YouTube and I'm censored and I can't post things up on YouTube if we're not going, if, if it's, if it's unfactual. So obviously I'm right. And then they would say, well, <laughs> well then they would argue with me and it became vaccine versus unvaccine, but it doesn't, but it didn't be, it, there's no like cutting off ties. There's no friendship that like here with people. And I've said this before, I've had, I've lost friends. I've lost community um, because people are so staunch pro-vaxxers, COVIDian, you know, activists here, you know, people who, you know, just beg to be injected, you know, who are like addicts of this stuff, you know, that, you know, they, they kind of remind me of the people under the bridge that are just wanting these needles, you know, these needle loving people. So it, these are the people who are staunchly saying, no, I'm not going to be your friend anymore because you don't not vaccinated, but we were hugging and kissing in 2020, you know, and I've said this already before, but I almost, I'm always going to say it because whoever's listening should, should remember that. And my cousins in Mexico, they don't care. You know, we just, we became, divided but then we hug and we love each other 
It's strange. It's very strange. I don't um, think that's strange. <laughs> I think that's how it should be. It should be. Yeah. I uh, mean, yeah. I have a question. So you went to Mexico. You were not in just one place, right? You were in, you traveled Mexico, like. To mm -hmm. Yeah, I went to Michoacán, the state of Michoacán. I went to Guanajuato, the state of Guanajuato. I went to El Estado de México, which is like weird state. It's a state that surrounds the capital. It's like Washington D.C., but with one, one circular state surrounding Washington, D.C., and that's called a state. <laughs> so, so I went to El Estado de México, and then I went to Morelos, and that's four states and the capital. So I was in five different regions. What was this plan? Like, did you know? Because I, I had no idea. Like, I, I was just getting my information through Lipson. It's like, yeah, Arizona's not back. You know, he's not back yet. And like, were you, did you plan this at all? Or Yeah, like, well, no, I didn't plan it. I think I just went because I, well, my family lives in many regions. And so I decided to have road trips. I decided to drive, get my father's car and have road trips to different, just like here, you know, you go to Arizona to go go to Albuquerque. Is that where Albuquerque is? Mm -hmm. Arizona? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next Next oh, you, oh, New <laughs> <laughs> cut 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 but no you go to las vegas or you go to la and then you go to las vegas and then you go you know and then you maybe go across the usa like in mexico as well you you know i got my dad's car at my 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 grandmother's house and i decided you know i'd go from state we went to michoacan to go see the sanctuary of the butterflies which is a very symbolic you know latin american you know what you know the symbol because there's the monarch butterfly that travels from Mexico to all the way to Canada, you know, back and forth for the different seasons. That's a symbol of no borders mm -hmm. and people migrating. And so I went to go see that. That was special to me. And uh, I, I went to Guanajuato to San Miguel de Allende to go spend time there with my cousins. And and then I went to este, Morelos to go see my great grandfather in the state of Morelos. And then I went to Querétaro. That was the other place, so six places to go spend time with my other family members there. And then I just all around Mexico City and driving, driving in Mexico City is like being, I said, I posted this on Facebook. It's like being in a video game. You know, you have to constant be on the lookout <laughs> and there's buses that are like, you know, just centimeters away from you. And so, but I, to answer your question, Kenny, yes. I went there with the idea, a vague idea that I wanted to be in all the regions where my family was that, but it wasn't, you know, planned concretely out. It just happened as it as 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 time unfolded. And you expected, if I remember right, you did you expect to be back by early February or something like that? The plan was to return for the 20th of January. Oh wow. So mm -hmm. can you say something about well, first of all. I mean, it does sound like you had a great trip in terms of reconnecting with your family, a different experience of how to be with people. So much broken community here in, in the Bay Area. You've lost so many, broken so many ties and to have those ties reaffirmed, even in the face of differences of opinion. I mean, that would be a big deal. I could see that. Um, so, I mean, that, that sounds like it was a great experience. Is that, did you, did you stay longer because you just didn't want to leave or did you feel like there was something, you know, that, it was important to just, well, I don't know. What, what was your reason? It for wasn't, I didn't feel like I had, had enough time. So I wanted to stay. So I, I 
basically paid for my flight, just $50 just to be moved over to another date, to be moved over to the 18th of February. And then, and then I, and then I got sick. <laughs> so then I couldn't come back for some time and then I had to postpone my flight. And the airline Mexico was in February, you were allowed to just change your flight without any issue. If you just said you had COVID, you were just allowed to change it, which I didn't know at the time. So I went to go get a COVID test that you have to pay for. And unlike here, you, you have so many sites to get COVID PCR tests or antigen tests. In Mexico, you, you have to, to get a free COVID test. You have to queue up real early in the morning, like 3 a.m., 5 a.m., and you have to sit there in your blanket and you have to wait. And lots of workers who are, you know, restaurant workers, lots of workers who work in homes in rich areas, they have to get these COVID tests. Uh, so, so they have to queue up early or you can go to Un Doctor Particular, which is a private doctor, and you pay what? From anywhere from 500 pesos to 1,000 pesos, which end up being like 25 to $50, more or less. So that's expensive. And if you're Mexican, 500 pesos goes a long way. If you're part of the working class, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and in, in, that's, a, that's a lot. So I do appreciate that SF has, well, first of all, I don't know if we should be all getting tested. That's the thing. So the root of the problem is the testing. But there is, if you're going to get required, unlike Austria and Mexico, you know, you don't have, you, here in SF, you don't have to pay for those things. You have anywhere you can get a test. Well, and the other thing too is, you can add this if you want or not, but you can also just, pay for negative or positive tests <laughs> so yeah or you can get other did, other documents but did you actually get sick or did you just test positive i i had symptoms i had i i had symptoms but i'm not sure if it was if i was sick i felt a lot of the people who had symptoms like colds would get cured and a doctor would go about and would just write down your symptoms and just to make things fast, they would just say, well, you most likely have COVID. So they would make a positive. So I, I, I saw that happen a lot. Yeah. And when I went to a small booth, that's what they did with me. So I was disappointed. So I had a, I had a positive test and I thought, okay, well, I'll just use it to extend my trip some if that's what I have. And sort of disappointed, but not. It was kind of in between because I did want to get home, have things to do here. But at the same time, I wasn't that like worried like okay i'll just stay some more time just make time so you didn't actually test positive at the airport is that what you're saying Mm-mm. so they they just look at your symptoms and then they're like you probably have covid you can't travel mm-hmm. you want to get tested afterwards right and then you're a papaya so you have <laughs> <laughs> uh how, how severe were your symptoms i mean what were you feeling uh i was I had a lot, I had runny nose. I sometimes trembled at night. I was cold and hot. Um, but, and that's it. I mean, I sneezed a lot, but that's quite common because sometimes when you, when I stay at my family's homes, some of them that have very humble or very, their homes, their dwellings are not very, um, Sometimes they don't have very, there's, their home structures are not built fully. So, for example, mm-hmm. um, 
the painting isn't, or they don't have scaffolding. Sometimes it's just like a cement concrete home. And so concrete over time disintegrates, right? So you have a lot of dust. And so I would sneeze a lot in the morning or in Mexico City is very contaminated, you know, because of migration, lots of just, it's contaminated. So I, in the mornings I, I sneeze a lot. And so people immediately look at me like, you have COVID or you have symptoms. And I said, no, I sneeze a lot because that's what happened. It's like when I was in, in the UK, um, because I'm not acclimated mm -hmm. to the to the pollen that happens in Europe during the springtime, I get very strong allergies. I already get allergies here in the USA, but I get very strong allergies and I'm like my eyes and my nose and everything, I get very puffy. And in Mexico, I, the, the other thing happens is just dust. I just sneeze. There's a lot of cement. Homes are built out of cement. There's just a lot of dust. Um, sometimes um, you have multiple homes being built on top of each other. It's like, especially my grandma and my grandmother's colony in her neighborhood. It's like a favela. The streets are so small and homes are on top of each other and built all over each other. And there's constant building. So um, just it's contamination and stuff. So people would attribute that to COVID. And so I thought maybe, okay, that, that doesn't make sense for me to be you know, with the symptoms on my checklist, but, but, but maybe I had a small cold. I'm not sure. I can only say for sure I've had COVID three times, which have been tested here in, you know, July last year, France, and in August of last year, when you all saw me just like constant, you know, I was really sick that time. But um, this last time, I don't think I, I don't know what it was. I was just Labeled cool. Um, well, so I would, would like you to talk about, I mean, you can talk about your, if there's more you want to say about your trip in Mexico. I am curious what your experience was like in terms of your experience of the whole moments of the, the place we are right now in with regards to COVID, fourth industrial revolution, mandates, data collection, all that kind of stuff. Um, so when I went to Cancun, I was pretty surprised at how much there was masking in the places mm -hmm. like the places would kind of like check you that temperature checks at, at grocery stores um, and people queued up for the temperature checks and people had to be masked inside and I couldn't get into certain, well, I almost wasn't able to get into a, like a outdoor Aztec ruin kind of thing. But since I didn't have a mask, like the guard was like, pull me out of the line and a woman was nice enough to give me a, a mask because I left it in the car. Um, so that, that was my experience in Cancun, but that's a tourist kind of thing. I'm wondering how you would, what, what's the, what is the kind of attitude that you experienced where you were or around where you were? Number one, number two, do things like the Ottawa truckers did that get down to Mexico or was that a discussion point? I'm curious because, well, certainly in some ways, maybe it wasn't even a discussion point here because it was kind of censured. Um, but, uh. I am curious about that as well. Yeah. Mm, well, first, I think I should say that Mexico is one of the most relaxed COVID-19 entry restrictions in the world. It's different in contrast to the USA. So um, I think the attitude is similar to AMLO's in many aspects. It's AMLO is the president of Mexico. It's, it's that there is an awareness, there's, there's cognizance of the virus, but there isn't strict approach to it and if you go to touristy areas yes i did experience it as well like if you go to polanco if you go to condesa or zona rosa which are the areas of mexico city that are very um they're rich that are also 
just per touristy. Uh, like if you go to El Zocalo, if you go to restaurants around there, yes, they tend, tend to be strict. I imagine Cancun, I haven't been in a while, is, was that way for that reason. No? Um, it's trying to make it attractive for tourists who do have that mindset, for U.S. Americans and for Europeans that have that mindset. Mm -hmm. I think that COVID should be something taken very seriously. So Mexico doesn't want to lose its, tour its in tourist industry. They don't want to lose their tourists. No? So, so I imagine it would be that way. But in the rest of the country, at least everywhere, like I said, I've been to where was it? I said already, Querétaro, Morelos, Guanajuato, Michoacán, four of the states where I went. And uh, yeah, I think it was four of the states. I said, yeah, four of the states where I went. The, the, the attitude isn't the same as in the tourist areas. I think if you go to a mall, like a centro comercial, Yes, inside where you have H&M and you have Amber, Amber and Finch and you have all of those, like if you go to the cinema, yes, it is strict. But there isn't a law in Mexico that exists that says you have to, like here, you have emergency powers that created laws to be able to say you have to be masked to enter certain places, like here in SF, right? There isn't a law. It's private businesses that enforce it. So if you have, if you want, if you want to go to, like I was going with my cousin who, likes H&M clothing, I don't know why, but I went with her. Those sanitized places that, you know, I hate and get bored of. I went in with her and I was told to wear a mask as well. And as much as I resisted and I said, I don't want to, or I don't feel comfortable or whatever, I wanted to see how much I can push. They were very strict about it. And it's a US American business. So I imagine that the policy goes across the same for anywhere in, where it is internationally. But if you go to like, a restaurant, a locale, or you local, or if you go to anywhere in the neighborhood, no, there isn't anything that's enforced. I think people look at you as if you probably are not being considerate of others, but they don't. But but for those who see it as something that's like mm, dangerous or something, they could get sick. Mm, that's not the majority. In public transport here in Muni, immediately I tried to keep my mask off, and people looked at me and said. Put your mask on. I just I did this just to see, and their public transport isn't the same. So it depends where you're at. Um, I I think that um, if you if you talk to most people, I think they 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 think of it. There's there's a lot of conspiracies, and then there are people who do believe that COVID is real, but they are okay being making satire jokes about it and it's very dark humor you know and i think that if any of those memes were shared here or on my facebook people would get freaked out or they would think i'm sending propaganda or whatever i and these are people who got vaccinated they they themselves make fun of it you know they like 30th shot by the nurse para tu propio bien and you're like a skeleton you know it's like memes like that or uh or uh, cynicism yeah mm -hmm. It's just, maybe it's Latino, I don't know what it is, but you know, you, these memes are shared and it's like, you know, 15 shots or whatever. And like, you know, and these are vaccinated people who are sharing it. So it's not like it's seen horribly, even in the UK, I think sometimes when I'm, because I belong to another group with my friends from the UK and they share things and British humor also tends to be sort of that way where it's like, it tends to be, um, satirical dark and it's not outright funny it's just subtle and they 
they're willing to share things like that. But here, when I share it in in a group chat or something with some of my friends here in San Francisco, they get offended. In offense, you know, how could you share that? Yeah, how are you sharing that when millions of people have died? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. information too, right? Yeah, disinformation. Shame on you. You know, it's like, oh God, you know, like even my grandmother, you know, like who are in the very like risk area, level of getting COVID. They don't, they're not afraid. Like she said something funny. She said, Todo esto lo están haciendo porque quieren subir el precio de las tortillas. They're, <laughs> they're doing all of this because they want to, she said, they're doing all this gauss because they're trying to raise the, the price of the tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to comment on that just because. Like, Go ahead, Kenny. Something that happens in my family too. My mother makes comments like that where like they sound funny on the surface mm -hmm. but like they have a lot of wisdom in like you know because she's talking about inflation you mm -hmm. know and like we're living through inflation mm -hmm. right now you know uh and, and so and just back to those memes same thing my people from down there who some of whom are vaccinated you know from guatemala mm -hmm. my brother my brother is the king of beams he just has them all like you know they they circulate with people and there is like like again there is no, not this there is people who are very serious about it mm -hmm. but by and large it's most definitely not this tension that we live through here like in san francisco and like in the u.s i would say that it is is very much also related to the who has proximity to like like western and european um you know like uh culture and connections so the higher you know the people the, the more elite people who have more proximity because even in san francisco and I say this carefully, and I don't know, you guys can judge, we keep this, but a lot of the places where people, like the lower class in San Francisco, the workers that make the city run, and the people that get paid the minimum wages, the places that they go to, because I also go there, the enforcement and the uh, seriousness of COVID has never been like the same as in the more educated places, you know, the where people are more the professional class. You know, in some, I can tell you that, and I don't want to name names because I want to keep it that way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there is definitely some places of, of refuge for people um, because, I, again, I want to repeat it. And, like, you know, there's something that there are racial under, you know, lines here. You know, like the people that we reject at my business at work is usually people of color, black and, and people, Latino people, people that are not vaccinated in this city or in the vicinity of San Francisco. You know, there is an absolute, you know, um, racial and socioeconomic line that uh, is marked as to who is pushing the COVID propaganda, you know, and, and who is kind of like just undermining it without really being loud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'll share some of the memes I think I'll post and then I'll have trans, uh, translated parts to it. I'd like to share some, you know, it's like Mexico, the place where classes are online, but fiestas are on you know fiestas are are in person <laughs> you know it's just different take it's funny you know and i just love that you know people get so what do you call it so like precious about you know being perfect or 
you know, they, they say they don't even keep up with their own, you know, restrictive selves. Mm-hmm. And anyhow, that that's one thing I, I, I think is the sentiment in Mexico. And, uh, well, would you say, so in some ways, though, that cynicism, that satirical, like that dark humor, I remember hearing it from a person in Russia under, you know, kind of a, the, they felt with the tyranny of the Soviet Union in its late stages before it just completely got pushed off the stage, um, you know, really thought, talked about how dark humor and dark comedy was actually a form of resistance to the government. Um, and is that what's going on here? Uh, that's confused. Maybe it's a little confusing because you also said there were the people who would post these are people who actually got the shot, although did they get the shot because they wanted the shot or they get the shot because they felt they had to have the shot. So I'm curious if you think that this, these memes or this sentiment is, is a kind of hidden opposition to what's going on there or just a cynicism about the state in general or about the world. I think Mexico has a very healthy, like a real healthy distrust of government and officials. Uh, so they just make fun of or mock the way government talks about coronavirus. They make fun of the way that health officials talk about protecting yourselves. So, but they 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 also are not stupid. So they'll just okay, well, okay, I'll just take care of myself. So if I'm sick, I'm not going to go and see my grandmother, or whatever. Like, or it might happen, but it didn't happen. Like people. It happens just the way it happens here, no? But people do take care of themselves in the way they do with health remedies. They figure out, you know, they they figure it out. I, like I said, they they keep their loved ones home instead of taking them to the hospital. Uh, but uh, you said a question, and so it might be that's the way they deal. Like they the 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 humor is a way to deal with what happens in the country. It's to make fun of yourself, you know, Mexican people just make fun of themselves for the way that their state of affairs are. The corrupt police, the politicians making false promises and lying to you and, you know, all of these things happening. Uh, Omicron being very funny at the time, uh, it was like robotic or whatever. Omicron's coming right now for you. And whilst, you know, the USA was closing its borders to Africa, you know, Mexico didn't close its borders in any single flight, did not stop any flight to from African countries. Um, and uh, yeah, I wanted to touch on what you said about the truckers convoy. Oh yeah, right. You you mentioned them. So we don't. There isn't a resistance that way in Mexico because of this this relaxed view of of COVID. So I imagine if it was more restrictive, there would be a resistance like that. And there isn't a resistance. So even though it was heard about in the news about what was happening in Canada or happening in the USA, it isn't something that, there isn't a movement like that. The only movement there is that I thought was quite radical was there are indigenous communities in more rural areas in Mexico where they have said health officials are not allowed to come in and, and have their health campaigns. I think it's four, if I remember correctly, where they just they can just block and ban health officials from coming in and making their campaigns there vaccine campaigns. So that is, I don't ever hear that in the USA happening. I don't think that would ever happen here where like where I went and lived for some time in Amitaydejo, it's a small town where they would just ban health officials from coming in and vaccinating children and people, right? So I don't think 
this the country this country has that level of freedom and that level of you know um anarchy as many mexican communities have so that i think is the only resistance that i have heard of but other than that the only reason why and that's just to answer another one of part of your question andy the only reason why people do get vaccinated mostly because of work yeah Not, it isn't because a high percentage of them I, when I asked them, why did you get vaccinated, whether it be my family or people in the neighborhood or people in the community, people say, oh, because of work. That's the majority of people say. Now, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, one person, but I don't know what the surveys are. And, but that's the majority of people. And if you ask most Mexicans even here, if you ask them, that's the same thing. I mean, we've met some of the Latino families here, Andy, and they'll tell you it's because of work. Mm-hmm. Kenny? I, I just wondered, too, if... Um maybe travel is another reason, right? Because they, they do ask for these things to travel uh, outside, like to places like the US. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah. I mean, that's mostly for rich, more middle-class Mexicans that travel outside. They wanted to go see the Olympics, for example, or they want to go to Europe or whatever. They, they do get the vaccine they were looking for Pfizer because we had the Russian vaccine in Mexico that was distributed and that one was seen as like not as effective and so the one that most most middle class elite Mexicans were getting were the ones were the Pfizer one. Moderna is not in Mexico we don't have Moderna in Mexico we have um, yeah we have the Russian one and Moderna and AstraZeneca mm-hmm. are they giving it to children is it no in no, not, at all? not, no, not right now. Um, they have, uh, they don't have that right now. For, right now, it's the, the adolescents and my age, my generation, which are the 30s, the 20s, and above. They're prioritizing the older people. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Minister of Health actually was public about saying not for kids at one point. I don't know if he's changed yeah. that. Um, uh, position but at one point the minister of health was opposed to vaccinating kids with covid vaccines not aware of it but i, I wouldn't be surprised kenny i wouldn't be yeah, surprised I, it's not something that's very um, that's sought after mm-hmm. i do remember hearing that in amlo amlo's cabinet that there was this character who was saying this and it wasn't really that out of step with amlo's people yeah uh, I'm reading here is the, where it says say that um, Mexican government has recalled calls to vaccinate youths despite a court order. Yeah, so there is um, a resistance. So yeah, <laughs> I want to make an, an observation or um, to see what you think because uh, you know in the context I don't know if you've seen these uh, um, like the newscaster, a journalist on TV talking about what's happening in Ukraine, right? And talking about like this more civilized, right? That is not civilized place, right? Versus Afghanistan and stuff. And so it, it sounds to me like from what you're describing, because it sounds familiar to me to what's happening in Central America, mm-hmm. uh, that the places that are more associated with quote unquote, the rule of law, are the ones that are more in step with like following all these protocols and all these mm-hmm. things. You know, San Francisco is the classic example of, of the world, right? Like mm-hmm. we follow the rules, we follow the law, you know, that's why we are civilized. Um, and, you know, it sounds like uh, same here, like the, the businesses that 
operate uh, or the people, the communities, the, the groups of people that operate are used to operating outside of the law, you know, and they know that laws are big against them. They tend to like dismiss this or even though they are, you know, have mass um, because this happens in Guatemala and there is no real enforcement, you know, like from authorities, like government authorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though people are still wearing this and some and a lot of people are vaccinated, they mm-hmm. still hold this cynicism of laws and policies and authorities because they're used to getting, you know, uh, you know, the shit out of the stick and, and being lied to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why it, it sounds that, you know, that's why I call it like on the global south, right? Like even in Africa, right? Like we know that <laughs> Africans have not taken the vaccine despite what the news says. Like actually, like it's not a shortage of vaccines as the problem over there. It's like African, um, you know, even health workers haven't really taken the, these uh, COVID vaccines. So again, it's, it's not a shortage. It's a rejection of these vaccines, you know. And, and it seems like a, a lot of people in the global south actually um, are are rejecting this uh, these COVID vaccines. And but it does, like you say, Eduardo, like it's still a passport. And we've been talking about this. The elite, the middle class, they get this stuff, you know, and they probably do believe it because, they, again, they're more associated with the rule of law of the, of the Europe and, and the United States. And they didn't themselves uh, see themselves different than those people that don't get it, the savages, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that happens here in San Francisco, too. You know, like mm-hmm. that's why I say the global south. Right. It's not just geographical. It's just economic for me, because there's plenty of people here that I know that are like operated under the radar and they're not in our workers and students for choice because mm-hmm. they don't have a voice like that you know they have their opinions and their own silent resistance because they operate outside of the systems in a way you know that mm-hmm. we are you all four of us have to wrestle with and i don't know if there's any comments or you know what you think of that observation that uh I just made my Mm, my friend Marius, who lives in right now Cameroon, he um, he he shares with me a lot of the stuff that is happening in 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 his country in Africa, in the, the continent of Africa. And even though he's not representative of the entire continent because it's a very big continent, just it gives me a sample of what's happening there. And I get also contacts from Latin America who stay in contact with me and in my country right like i have this this uh this view from them from their eyes and the view from the global south is that this isn't this isn't actually their fight there's this is what they're more worried about is poverty they're more worried about what's happening like uh you know to survive it's 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 other things it's 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 the um the price of tortilla. The corruption. Yeah, the price of tortilla. <laughs> corruption, inflation, the economics of situations, it being oppressed. It's not COVID. This isn't something. So when they hear this stuff, it's, of course, they're going to bypass anything. They're going to be, this is, you know, beyond our necessities right now. So it is something that I think global, the, the most um, first world country, so to speak, it's their fight. It's their worry. It's their paranoia. It's. And even here, I feel even poor people, though, the, it's the working class here in the USA who 
feel that this isn't something they're worried about. But when we were at, I've said this before many times, when we were at Black Lives Matter, it wasn't that people were afraid of COVID as, as some protester I remember saying, it was afraid of being shot by the police. It's the police, it's the state that they were more worried about, no? So I think that that's the difference in the way that people see. It's just, you know, you have New Zealand and Australia trying to adopt zero COVID strategies insane zero COVID strategies and you have other countries that don't have that that um, they're not invested in it like that because the country wouldn't be able to survive people wouldn't they would be an uprising I imagine if they would if they did have those strategies the way they do in Mexico and in African countries the way that uh, that New Zealand is they would resist I would see more fighting happening happening in those countries because it's already they're in dire needs and you're going to oppress them even further if Ma'amlo did that or any other these Latin American countries then you just have massive uprising because no one would be able to survive with lockdowns it's always the poor that gets hit harder and especially in those countries they would get even harder hit hardest you know and because they didn't get no stimulus like we did you know mm -hmm. they didn't print money like the America mm -hmm. and you know and the European countries have done mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess then if I would wonder, though, because one of our episodes we had last time was the one where we did the advertising and it talked about the borderless world um, and the and the borderless world that's going to be constructed by the digital matrix that's being constructed around the globe. If maybe there's not a conception of covid and mandates, but I would be curious, is there a conception of this other thing that's coming? fourth industrial revolution kinds of things. Um, I, because, yeah, I'm curious about that. Like, do you get a sense of, yes, there's a beginning growing awareness or app or no, there is not. Um, so. I tried asking those kind of questions. I think, I'm not sure. I'm not the, you know, again, I'm not, you know, I'm sort of the way that we're doing this is, putting our like on olden yeah. times you know you put your finger up here and it's like just your finger using as a thermometer to be able to read the winds or whatever how cold it is or whatever but you need an actual thermometer to know and so that's what i feel like we are doing right now with me because i don't represent the entire country right in all of latin america but in conversing because i am not just sitting there and having casual conversations i'm asking very direct and, and concise questions to bring to this episode. And from all of these conversations, the fourth industrial revolution is not something that is, yeah. it, it's far. And I think it has to do because the lack of internet and many access, I mean, I think what's bringing access to the internet, the world of the internet is all of the phones. People have, do get phones and people do everything. Even in Africa, people like, they're making transactions and even using Bitcoin in Africa, right? Like people are using cryptocurrency and there is a way. And I, I imagine that if the fourth industrial revolution is going to get a toll, it's going to be in the first world countries. And slowly then in in these other countries, I, I imagine that's that's my that's my 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 belief. I'm not sure. Even like the 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 comprobantes. The, the proof of the proof of vaccination is now we have the new one where it has a QR code. So there is beginnings of it, no? 
Even in restaurants, now you have to have your phone to get the menu with a QR code. So there is an implementation of QR codes, el QR. Uh, but I don't know, I, it, it feels somewhat far. It's still a bit, and I love it this way. It's still anarchaic. It's still a bit, you know, not as connected as the USA. And I mean, I'll go ahead. But I, I guess I would say that hearing that, then I would say there are, are two sets of fools. There's the fools in the United States who are falling for COVID. Mm -hmm. And I would say there's the fools in the, in this, in, in the global South who better get their heads on straight about this fourth mm -hmm. industrial revolution because it is there. And they, their, their living standards and working standards, in fact, they're going to be told that things are going to get better for them. And it actually will get better for them as yeah. their living conditions are going to be pitted against somebody whose living conditions are in the, in the first world. Um, but I definitely, I do feel like they may be, they're going to have to get wise to that because that is something that really, to me, sets apart places like India, where you can hear the awareness among people that they are fighting along multiple fronts. Um, and uh, that's, that, I think what you're saying, though, does resonate with my experience there. It's, it's almost like they think things are sitting still there, but they are not. They are, they are moving in all across the globe. Um, with these plans. Um, that's just what comes to mind for me. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, like, Eduardo, on that note, like, is there is there stuff that kind of worries you, like, thinking about your family and, and just Mexico at large? Like, what, what concerns you, if anything? Mm, I'll say shortly. I want to hear Kenny's thought on this, but I, I, I do, I am afraid that, that, Progress, technological progress, is seen as some form of savior, some some form of just say I don't know how to savior to say okay. They um so most people live on the underground economy. Most people don't have credit cards. Most people don't have a, even a debit card. Don't have a bank account. So people run their 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 the country is is on the backbone of the underground economy the, the or the economy that is un, informal maybe i should say and so that i that's one of the reasons why i think it's low but the, the 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 belief that to get advanced is lies in getting connected so i i i think that there will be sort of we should be moving we should be doing something but unfortunately people are blinded by wanting to progress because they live in a survival state that they think this is the way out, no, Kenny. Yeah, at least from my view, um, you know, when you look at the first industrial revolution, the second, the third, the fourth, so is the economic north. You know, like the colonial relationships, mm -hmm. they're, they're still there. You know, like the these countries, these people, like people in the global south, are still you know in their indentured servitude to you know the, the economic system that governs the world, right? So the economic system is not changing, and so. I agree with Lipson that, you know, things are not standing still. You know, we talked about digital ID, right? Uh, some years ago, I don't know if it's still true, but I, I, I remember like the two thirds of the global economy happens in the informal sector. And part of digital ID, just like they did in India, right? Is to bring the informal economy into the formal economy, mm -hmm. to measure everything so that these bankers, these, all these capitalists can monetize everything and cannot leave a penny, you know, like, you know, uh, uncounted for. Mm -hmm. 
And, and so that that's why they, they that drive narratives of you know banking for the poor, you know digital ID for the poor. So the, the plan is there, you know, and, and, and it's not to. Uh, I'm sure some people are gonna find creative ways to make money in this, uh, you know, in the global south. But by and large, it's more of the colonial relationship, and actually more minute, more detail, you know, in in in. And not only that, obviously, we've talked about the, the implications of resisting this, right? Because I agree with what Eduardo said, that people in the global south, they're going to look at the price of tortillas. In my country, like, or in, in a lot of Latin American countries, if you increase the, the price of uh, the bus fare, they will raise hell and fucking night shit on fire. Because, you know, like, a lot of people don't have credit, right? The, the way that Americans do to supplement the lack of actual income right and but that's going to change with digital the digital economy by connecting so many people because again remember the technological leaps like india didn't have to create them the infrastructure of, of cell, uh, cellular you know uh, no, telephone lines right they just jumped that that uh technological uh, hurdle and so cell phones are everywhere everyone has a cell phone and so everyone is potentially already has the basic tool to join this world economy that is coming. So I think it will come. I think the enforcers are the global north, the people that, the, the rule of law people, you know, the, the, the people in San Francisco, the, the high class in those countries that have ties and investments in these countries, right, uh, to sustain their lives. So yeah, it, it, it's coming. It's just, I do think that there is some obliviousness to it, you know, because people are by and large just trying to hustle to survive. And, and and I do think in some ways, I mean, it makes sense for them, like, to not even resist it, you know, because everyone's trying to hustle, like, <laughs> to to make it. And, and so, I mean, it, 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 what I'm saying is more of the same. It's just the same countries that have already extracted from the country, except that people are the the, the biggest source of raw materials, right? Mm -hmm. And then, like, being a Marxist materialist, like, yeah, you can create all this bullshit technology, but it still comes back to the resources that it needed to create this. You know, where are the resources in, in the global south? So there is war, there is poverty, there is extraction, there is surveillance coming, you know, uh, uh, to the south as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just wondering, I mean, kind of that the last couple of points aside, you know, it sounds like, had a really wonderful time and I love hearing you know just like the stuff about sense of humor um I think I don't think that should be underestimated you know um sometimes on an individual level and on a collective level I mean that that is like a lifeline um for sure and yeah Americans don't have the best sense of humor I can say that because I'm from England originally. But, oh, um, are you, so I think you would know what it means to be so, you know, they have the different and the subtle humor as well. If you're from. Yeah, England, I mean, I obviously I think it's, it's different. I mean, there's still, you know, there's still a white Western, you know, center of empire. But yeah, for sure. I mean, my my half my family's in England, half my family's in America. And yeah, I mean, the Brits they don't they don't talk about stuff in the same way um yeah there's just a, mu a much a much much more of a sense of humor um uh 
and sometimes it's dark but but anyway what I was going to ask was just you know coming back like you talked at the beginning about you know feeling nostalgia and that but I don't know like what are you what it what's what's next for you I mean it must be really I don't know just to come back here and see like how out of touch so many people are how um yeah I don't know I just like what's what's on your mind in terms of what's next for you I think for me now it's well first of all this isn't the first time I've traveled this is the first time maybe in two years that I've been gone this long but I think last time the the other times I was traveling during what's left uh, I was I had time I'd made time to to record and this time I did I decided to be selfish and not make any time Mm -hmm. to record (laughs) I made time in in Spain and in Mexico and where else I forget where but it was somewhere else yeah anyhow um so I want to just clarify that that I have been traveling before even when what's left i just wanted to be selfish let's see um you did it in france france yeah oh yeah right <laughs> i just didn't make the time this time huh uh well how what's do you, next? how do you feel about that i mean you you say it's selfish i mean i i was exhausted i think lots of things from last year feeling you know you know why even though i have what's left i have you all here i have it just thinking about my community and from have been having been severed from them and you know the hypocrisy the pushing the politics you know it just made me feel exhausted and I wanted to be amongst people who don't have that level of thinking. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to be there with my family. And I have so many cousins and I have close friendships and relationships that I don't need to worry. I don't need to worry about people who don't want to, who don't want to be in a relationship with you just because of COVID. <laughs> uh, right. So to the question that Jessica's posed, I think now that I'm back, I, I after a break, after having some some time off, is to, I think what's next for me, obviously, to continue with you all. I'm very happy that we're going to continue this, and as well as to see what's happening at my at the local level. I've been communic- I've been contacted by many families that I've unfortunately, hopefully, they will not see this, but I have not been in close contact with them as I was before. So I have to do that again maybe build some trust again they probably thought i abandoned them i did explain that i was in another country so they understood uh, but i want to re i want to organize so i want to go back and see i don't know if, i feel lots of things have happened like the truckers convoy which was amazing i was from the from far away i was just reading and paying attention i also heard some of the episodes of you all thank you jessica for bringing up julian assage in one of the episodes i was i forget which one uh <laughs> And uh, hearing about his case, it would also a break from having listened to Democracy Now! and KPFA and the BBC News really gave me a chance to sort of clear my head a bit from all that literal talk. <laughs> and re-listening to that just made me think, oh, goodness, I could use my time listening to something else. Uh, so 
I want we, I want to organize again in SF, see what's happening with families. I'm glad there's going to be mask lifting of masks in the state, but I'm not sure SF is going to adopt it. So I want to see just, I know today, London Mayor Breed of SF came out and she said that she was encouraging for the lifting of masks in schools. I think there'll be a resistance from teachers. And I imagine that will be another front I have to take on. Um, and uh, let's see, just that, I think that's organizing. I also came back a bit more inspired to finish some of the writings that I've left undone. So <laughs> see if I can finish that. My garden is dead, by the way. Just, I came back, everything's dead. No one knows how to take care of plants. Everyone who I assigned specific plants to, or I assigned working duties or went to water, it, it just, it's not simple, is it? Everything, even lavender that can survive anything is dead. <laughs> Rosemary dried up. I'll just have to collect the leaves and use that as part of, you know, for seasoning. But I'm very disappointed in my family and people who I left to take care of my plants. I don't have kids. I don't have dogs. But, you know, I asked them to do that. They couldn't even do that. I think oh. severed those relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Not much has changed here. <laughs> like maybe we are frozen in time, you know. And um, yeah. So, but yeah, it'll be yeah. Cool. That's how I feel. I feel like oh my god, like Edward is coming back, and we're all just like sitting here having the same conversations, like uh, same stupid crap, right? Like <laughs> different propaganda, but the same propaganda. Not getting through to people. I, yeah, yeah, I think you're right, Kenny. I think if anyone's frozen in time, it's us. <laughs> I can tell you that I'm jealous. Like, you know, at the time you've gotten to spend with your family, you know, like, you know, I mentioned my own episode, right, when we talked about my trip to Canada and, like, that's important. It's grounding, you know, especially if, you know, like, I echo what you said about being tired, you know, and like, you've been going at this for a long time with uh, what's left you know and like the community stuff and job and it takes a toll so i'm glad that you've gotten to do that you get into you know like have some i guess sense of normalcy right like mm -hmm. just, uh, mm -hmm. everything's so bizarre here uh you know especially in san francisco yeah. and uh, i mean i don't know when you got back or oh, like last week right so maybe, maybe you need more time to get back to the, the, the dead plants here. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, and, and so then maybe we'll yeah. ask you this question again later. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, you said something about like, uh, something along the lines of like feeling like you abandoned, you know, families in San Francisco and stuff like that. And I I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, I think what are we fighting for if you're not there in Mexico with your family and being present and not having to log on here every week for a few months? Um, I mean, if you don't have that, then what are we, what are we doing? And yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of jealous too. Like I'm really happy, but I, I wish I had that. Like I wish I had um, family like that, you know, I mean, I, I love my family and, have lots you know lots to be thankful for too but i think it's just as important like yeah like um 
you know, kind of your episode where you talked about going to Canada and, and those experiences and yeah, I mean, it's Jenny, a really important reminder. Like this is, this is what, you know, what it is to be human. So, so don't, you didn't abandon anyone. I, I feel reinvigorated, re-energized to continue the fight and to face people. I felt a little bit like I was cowering a bit towards the end with administrators and teachers at my nephew's school when schools reopened for the for the uh, for the for the beginning of the, the school school year, and then now I feel I can face that. Being away just like gave me space, you know. Being away just oof, just sort of allowed me to. Yeah. Try to have different seasons of the mind and yeah. seasons of experience. And I think at this point, like more than all of us here, you know, like you know what green plants look like, just to keep going with that, you know, metaphor. Because I think that like, a, <laughs> a lot of shit has died here that people don't realize it's beyond, you know, it's like that it needs care, right? And 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 you know, people just take these wilted plants and think that that's life. And you know, mm-hmm. that I think that, you know. I'm just glad that you got two months, you know, and I'm going to find a way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Almost three months, almost three months, yeah. close to three months, right? Because December t- to the end of February, well, to the end of last week. Almost. almost got it. Anything else? Well, first, were there any episodes that stuck out for you from what's left? Oh, I can't remember them at this moment. And that's the quiz. That's fine. That's fine. I said I I disconnected. (laughs) That's fine. Um, I remember listening to two of them. But I I will say that you should probably brush up on the Ukraine episode that we did because I think that's what we're going to talk about next week. Okay. Um, All right. Because I certainly thought things would go differently than they have, and I'd like to talk about that. Yeah, you did express that once we spoke. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is that you know Ukraine cured COVID on the news for a while. Yeah, Putin found the cure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Eduardo, it's good to have you back, and um, I hope, hope to see you in person. Yes, we'll do something. I'm going to yeah. attend one of the workers first. It works as students for choice meetings at your house. I've seen that you started posting them. Yeah, at your house I, for some time. I hope we can get together, you and I. But we'll, we'll see if we can figure that out. Sure. Okay. And we have uh, a Jessica. Huh? We have a trip plan. Remember? Oh yeah, we're gonna have a hike. <laughs> yeah, as well. <laughs> That's that. That is close. I hope to see you both. And Jessica, you've moved, right? Yeah, to, I moved. Oh. I guess I moved like right as you were leaving, or a little bit before. But yeah, I moved uh, uh-huh. beginning of November. I moved just from Washington to Oregon. Um, but it's a really right. different, yeah. different, like very, very rural just. community. I'm like in the middle of nowhere. Um, oh, my goodness. So yeah, t- lots of how, changes. How far away are you from Eugene? Because I stayed there for some time. Uh, like a long way. I'm like almost in Idaho. Where did you, where were you at when you were in Idaho? I got to look up where that town is. I was in, 
Emmett, Idaho, close to Boise, but it was in a small town outside of Boise. Yeah, so Boise is the closest like city to me, and it's like two hours away. Um, Wow. Yeah. So it's really hard to fly. (laughs) Like whenever I want to start traveling again, if I ever freaking start traveling again. Um, But they just just have some of the requirements for the UK, um, which is good because I've been thinking about that for like two years um but Good i don't know i'm not as like comfortable testing as i think some of you guys are <laughs> i've only done one test all of covid and it was very 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 against my will mm-hmm. uh, i don't know it's mm-hmm. stupid, but no yeah it's, it's messed up yeah um, well, at least boris johnson did what he did so that you can travel there because i think the restrictions would have lasted had he not done yeah let's end this episode i'll i'll end it with the outro yes welcome back eduardo it's good to have you back yeah thank you thank you i also got a haircut looks good your hair looks good good yeah so i i had long hair and now i'm cutting short (laughs) you're more tan yeah i'm like oh man can we go south everyone should go south Vitamin D, it cures COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode. Uh, What's Left is a a weekly political podcast last channel channel to the left. We post information about our topics and our guests in the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.com. Um, you can find past episodes to this podcast last channel there and connect with us. Um, I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications uh, to any of our eight platforms on podcast, Spotify, iTunes podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, or the channels BitChute, Odyssey, uh, YouTube, or you can find us on Telegram. And, oh, and we've uh, added Rumble. And Rumble. All right. And Rumble. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-hosts Kenny Cepeda, Andy Lipson, and Jess. Thank you very much for being with us. And again, I'm glad to be working with Jess in the future. Thank you for listening. And it's yeah. great to have you doing the intro and outro. It's not as easy as it looks. No. <laughs> you do it very well. Someone else should try it. <laughs> no. It's Eduardo's job. All right. See you. Ciao. All right.